1: We shouldn't be asking, what about Brett Favre? Race plays no role in people's disparate interests or the media's current coverage of the Emmy Udoka and Brett Favre situations. Retired players who have yet to be charged with a crime aren't nearly as interesting as the current head coach of an NBA title contender. No one spent much time discussing Clinton Portis, Joe Horn, and a dozen other former NFL players defrauding a healthcare retirement fund for NFL players. We should be talking about the sense of entitlement pervasive among athletes and other celebrities because of our culture's out-of-control idolatry. Entitlement explains the behavior of Favre, Yadoka, and virtually all of America's Celebrities.
2: Welcome.
1: Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you and yours. The weekend is here, baby. I am so looking forward to the weekend. I got some great college football to look forward to. I got some great NFL action to look forward to. I got some great exercising to look forward to. Uh, And I'm gonna take advantage of my weekend. But before I get into my weekend, I'm going to deliver to you an absolutely amazing, awesome, fantastic, phenomenal Friday show uh, to get us into the weekend, Steve Kim. Uh, we'll be here, Royce White will be here, and uh, we're gonna bring in a viewer, Lynn Cabrera. He's gonna end the show. I'm trying to throw out some bait to you all to tell you if you participate in the show, if you send me feedback, m- and even if you agree and or disagree with me, send me your feedback at fearlessattheblaze.com. Send me that feedback. You might pop up on the show just like Lynn Cabrera, This guy's got a pretty fascinating take on House of the Dragon. He emailed it to me. And so, boom, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting, fascinating. I want to share it with the audience. I think it'll be entertaining. Boom, Link Cabrera on the show on a Friday. Uh, We're going to kind of, I want that to be a trend. Email me, email us here, fearless, at theblaze.com. You might be a guest on this show. You might be someone that comes on and disagrees with me, pisses me off, but we may find it fascinating. Uh, so listen, it's Friday. I've got a Friday fire starter for you that will be unbelievable. But even before I get into that fire starter, I wanna clear the decks, take care of a little bit of business first. So that, w- cause you know, there's no telling where this fire may go with me and Steve Kim and Royce White. So I wanna clear the deck first and talk a little bit Give us expand, give us some room, uh, and talk a little bit about my good friends at Good Ranchers. It's Friday, I may swing home Saturday, and my mother will cook me up some of that good Good Ranchers meat. Have you ever had a friend who is who is naturally talented at things? They just pick up a sport, hobby, or thing, and immediately become good at it. They make it look easy. If you don't have that friend, it's you, and we're all secretly despise you. The good news is, no matter who you are, you can make great food look easy with Good Ranchers. My mother's gonna do it for me and my brother. I know my brother's going to Indianapolis, so I know he's gonna get some. Uh, But Good Ranchers can do it for you, too. They source the highest quality meat in America, and when I say the highest quality, I mean it, and more importantly, they can prove it. Each piece of meat is from real American farms and hand cut and trimmed by real American workers. They only source from farms that meet their standards of excellence, which means it's pasture raised, no antibiotics ever, and no added hormones. Good Ranchers is so confident in the quality they sell, they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee on every box they ship to you. Plus, you can use my code, FEARLESS, to get free shipping and $30 off your first order. Trust me when I tell you, the only thing as good as their meat is their in-house customer service team. This is America's best meat and seafood sold by some of America's best people. They've won big awards like best food subscription and being part of the NIC 5000 list of America's fastest growing companies. But their mission is still the same, bringing everyone to the table to share in the best of what makes life good. If you want the best, then go with Good Ranchers. Visit GoodRanchers.com to save on American meat delivered to your door. Guys, I I tell you this all the time. You want to support me. You want to support this show. You want to fight back. You got to support companies like Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is supporting me, you and us and what we believe in. It is our duty as fearless soldiers to support them. Mm. Now, let's uh, get all the way into this Friday Firestarter. I'm excited. I'm overjoyed, thrilled about today's show. I think I got one of my best fire starters ever. Let me quit bragging and hyping about it and let's just get into it. Let the work speak for itself. Entitlement. That's what binds Brett Favre and Emmy Udoka. Nothing else. For the past 48 hours since NBA reporters Adrian Wojnarowski and Sham Sharnia dropped the news of Udoka's workplace malfeasance Social media pundits have desperately tried to place the Hall of Fame quarterback and Celtics head coach in the whataboutism racial blender. It's the no risk gadget of choice for low IQ influencers looking for Twitter street cred. It works nearly every time. Let me give you a little background. The Boston Celtics announced late Thursday night, had a press conference this Monday, announcing that they suspended Udoka for the entire Uh, 22-23 season because he violated the team's personal conduct policy. Reports allege that Udoka participated in an inappropriate consensual sexual relationship with a female staff member. On the other hand, Farr has been in the news of late because of his alleged role in a Mississippi welfare scheme that tried to funnel $5 million to a volleyball facility at his alma mater, Southern Mississippi where his daughter played. Yudoka is a basketball coach. Favre is a retired NFL player. The stories are seemingly unrelated. But given the fact Yudoka is black and Favre is white, Twitter rewards its users and high-profile influencers for connecting the two events. Failed NFL quarterback turned ESPN broadcaster Robert Griffin III flipped the switch early Thursday morning Tweeting quote, if you're more upset about Emmy and Duca and the Celtic situation than Brett Favre stealing millions in welfare money from the poorest people in our country, in Mississippi, then you are part of the problem. End quote. The nonsensical tweet has nearly 150,000 likes and 30,000 retweets. Thanks to the dopamine coursing through his brain, RG3 has every right to believe he tweeted something very profound and logically sound. Like all social media apps, Twitter rewards idiocy. But here's the truth. No one outside of Nia Long, who's Emi Udoka's girlfriend, Celtics employees, and some of their fans Outside of that, no one is upset about Emi Yudoka's misbehavior and misfortune. Sports fans are fascinated. Yudoka's implosion feels unprecedented, borderline historic. Based on what we've been told so far, we've never seen an organization torch a successful head coach over consensual sex a week before the start of training camp. Add in Boston's elevated and celebrated status within the NBA, and the Udoka story captivates the way daytime soap operas and the daytime soap opera marriage of Luke and Laura did 41 years ago on General Hospital. 30 million viewers tuned into that wedding. The daytime soap opera craze expired more than a decade ago. They've been replaced by an army of talk shows that rely on messy reality TV storylines. Yudoka delivered one. But I digress. RG3's real agenda is to deflect attention away from a black public figure caught with his pants down. This is the national pastime of Twitter and corporate media pundits chasing likes, retweets, followers, and racial virtue courtesy of the app's rigged algorithms. For maximum relevance, Twitter requires users to analyze every human engagement through a racial lens. The requirement has perverted and dumbed public discourse, divided Americans along racial lines, and blinded us from the truth. The force Racial Pretzel, featuring Favre and Udoka, provides a perfect example of Twitter's corrosive impact. We shouldn't be asking, what about FAR? Race plays no role in people's disparate interests or the media's current coverage of Udoka and FAR. Retired players who have yet to be charged with a crime aren't nearly as interesting as the current head coach of an NBA title contender. No one spends much time discussing Clinton Portis, Joe Horn, and a dozen other former NFL players defrauding a healthcare retirement fund for NFL players. No, we should be talking about the sense of entitlement pervasive among athletes and other celebrities because of our culture's out of control idolatry. Entitlement explains the behavior of Favre, Udoka, and virtually all of America's celebrities. Why would Brett Favre, a man who earned more than 200 million on and off the field, allegedly attempt to financially benefit from welfare fraud in his home state of Mississippi? I'll tell you why. Because he feels entitled. The world has catered to his every desire since he became a star at Southern Miss. He never waits in line for a table. Restaurants comp his meals and drinks. Women seek him out. Coaches, administrators, executives, agents, and well-wishers clean up his mistakes. Television broadcasters, radio hosts, and sports writers minimize his transgressions in exchange for access. The TV networks wanted an on-field John Wayne to drive ratings, so they rewarded the people who did the best job of celebrating and worshiping Favre. Favre was an American idol, no different from Michael Jordan. We created these Frankensteins. The only thing that has really changed is our desperation to create the next batch of unwitting monsters and the number of media platforms with laboratories. We've grown from four TV networks to 300 local newspapers to thousands of blogs, local radio stations to thousands of podcasts, a handful of skilled tastemakers, people like John Madden, Howard Cosell, Bob Costas, Chris Berman, etc., to a million hacks pontificating across the internet. I can run off a long list of hacks firing off opinions on the internet. Entitlement drove Udoka to, an act, to act in a way that damaged his career and may eventually cost him his job. He's been catered to, too. He's a former athlete. It doesn't matter that he never reached professional starter. I was a mediocre mid-major football player in the 1980s. I was catered to in high school and college. I wrestled with entitlement. As an adult, It took a reawakening of my faith to fully slay my sense of entitlement. Corporate media tells black people to feel entitled. That's what critical race theory is all about, the entitlement of black people. In the past 24 hours, Stephen A. Smith and many other sports media members have tried to paint Udoka as a victim. Without any proof, Smith and others have claimed the Boston Celtics leaked the Udoka story. The allegation makes zero sense. The far more likely scenario is that Udoka and his handlers leaked the story to try to influence Boston's punishment. Honestly, I don't even believe the narrative that has been presented. Successful coaches do not get suspended and or fired over a case of consensual workplace sex. There's far more to this story than we'll likely ever know. What I do know is that Yudoka acted selfishly and irresponsibly. It's not surprising. He, Favre, and many other athletes exist in the bubble of entitlement and idolatry we constructed for all athletes and celebrities. Mm. It's one of my favorite fires. Uh, I love it. I got a little bit more I wanna add to it before we bring uh, Steve uh, Steve Kim in. Uh, I wanna, no, no, no. I wanna bring Steve Kim in. I wanna bring Steve Kim in. I'll unpack some of this other stuff a little bit later. Let's roll out to Los Angeles, bring Steve Kim in. Uh, Steve. I think entitlement is the thing that connects Emmy Udoka's behavior to Brett Favre's behavior. I think this whole racial element that's pervasive over social media, and I'm seeing influencers like Stephen A. Smith lean into it, I think it's a joke. We should be having a more substantive conversation about the mindset of entitlement that is pervasive among athletes and other celebrities. I think that is what's driving the bad behavior of a lot of people, including Emmy Udoka and Brett Favre.
3: Well, that's been going on for years and and that's a timeless character trait of many athletes, celebrities and those with power. But I think what's going on because of the easily amplified message of social media is now to throw a lot of deflection out there. The bottom line, what Adoko and Favre have done will be done uh, again. It's been done before. And it's, it's a part of American culture, maybe all cultures that really do value power, money, influence, and fame. But because of social media, means like Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, you, you can really go out there and everyone has their own little megaphone and they can basically shout out whatever message they want. What's really going on here is a lot of deflection. Um, look, the Brett Favre thing, I think, is really ugly. You can argue it's been undercovered. But at a point in time, he will have to come uh, at a, to a court of law and really face whatever charges come before him. I find it to be disgusting and disturbing what he did. But to conflate that with anything else, I don't think one has anything to do with the other. So, I mean, but the very same people. And this is the ironic part, that want equal coverage for everything. Okay, well, everyone can play that game because if you want to talk about a shooter that happens to be a certain racial color that is safe to rip, well, then we can say, well, what about all these hundreds of other shootings that take place every day? Are, are we sure we really want to go down that line? And it, it's come to a point, it reminds me of uh, Marvin Nathaniel Hagler, my favorite fighter of all time. He actually had to go to a court of law in the early 80s as a marketing hook to be officially called Marvelous Marvin Hagler. So the television networks, when they listed his name, had to put the Marvelous in there. Well, I'm beginning to think that Brett Favre's name, it's not either but, 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 or what about Favre. He's no longer Brett. It's either but Favre or what about Favre. Because now it's, it's become a joke. So every time an athlete of color gets into trouble, the natural default position is not the race card. It's a different version of it. It's called the farm card. Just just pull it out, but farm, And it, it, it's ridiculous. And I was researching what you said about uh, Clinton Portis and some other players getting involved in the fraud. There were a group of NBA players that got into a similar situation. I believe Darius Miles was a, a part of it. And I think that's with the Players Association and some other benefits. Look, none of it, none of it, is right but also i'd also argue that none of it is really particularly connected
1: steve do you not feel that the entitlement culture the idolatry culture has been expanded or amplified more pervasive and i say that because there's all the everybody's in need of an idol When there were just four TV networks, you had Muhammad Ali, you had three or four guys could service everybody. And we built them up and that was fine. Now with all of these platforms and all these networks and all of these talk shows, everybody needs the content. And so we're building everyone up into an idol. And and so I do think athletes have always had a form, of uh, entitlement and a case of entitlement. I just think these new variants are more extreme because of the way the media has fractured and multiplied. And and because so, again, Steve, I, I grew up in a time as a journalist where only those of us that were columnists were allowed to spout an opinion. And in order to be a columnist, you had to show some rare skill, you had to clear some hurdles and some obstacles, and show that you were worthy of having your opinion out there and for readers to even respect it. Now everybody, beat reporters, people that have never been inside of a locker room, everybody. Gets platform and gets a show, a podcast, or whatever. The other day I was watching, and, and I hope, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm just, I was watching Around the Horn. And I was, I was literally looking at the people, like, Around the Horn when it started. Say what you want about Jay Mariotti or any of the guys, Woody Page. Or, these were, like, super experienced journalists who had covered things and traveled the country and dealt with athletes and executives on a day-to-day basis for years. Now I'm watching Around the Horn and I'm like, I bet none of these people have ever covered a team. Many of them have never really been in a locker room, or if they had, it's it's a one-off visit. And, And so I'm just like, these are people's opinions I really don't respect and haven't earned the right to be spouting these opinions. I just think that has made the entitlement and and the whole, everything's been dumbed down to a level that I just think the problems are more acute.
3: Well, Jason, you know what the great thing about the internet is and social media? Everyone can have an opinion. You know what the worst thing about the internet and social media is? Everybody can have an opinion. That's the reality, the fact that this right here has aimed everybody with the ability to be media or their own platform, it's great opportunity, but with opportunity does come some responsibility. Okay, so, that, so now you're opening up a Pandora's box. But Jason, to your original statement you made, is there idolatry? Has there always been that? Yes. And have, have many fans idolized athletes? Yes, I certainly did. I can tell you a story back in the mid-80s as a high schooler in Montebello, California. Tony Gwynn, uh, my San Diego Padres, I used to be a fan, was by far my favorite player. And what I actually did is I made a big paper uh, schedule of every Padre game. And I think every road game was brown. I put the crayon. Every home game was orange. So I'd look at the box score every day, and I would write down Tony Gwynn's box score. So I could literally see, and before I'm going to bed, I'd be like, huh, three weeks ago, he went three for four, and he had an RBI. That's how much I was into him. But one thing I never did, Jason, is that I understood that's Tony Gwynn. I am not Tony Gwynn. Whatever money he earns, whatever car he drives, whatever house he lives in, it ain't mine. And I see this a lot in boxing, especially with Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather, when he came up with the money team, and about a dozen years ago or so, during the height of his career, if you weren't just completely complimentary of Floyd Mayweather on Twitter or any social media or an article, you were a racist, you were a hater, this, this, and that. And these people really thought that they were part of the money team. And I'm thinking, what a sad existence. Floyd gets to flash those dollars. He gets to fly those private jets. He gets to drive the half a million-dollar cars. You don't. And But that is a part of why I think there's this reaction to Adoko, uh I mean, Adoka, because I think a lot of people say, well, that's me. He's also black. No, that's about the only thing you share is your skin color. He was good enough to play in the NBA. You weren't. He worked hard enough to be an NBA coach. You didn't. So there's almost like this form of a, a racial identity that everyone grasps onto. So, if somebody gets criticized or goes through a crime, then what happens, in my view, is a natural reflexive uh, reaction to say, "What about Brett Favre?" I think that's what's going on here.
1: I'm going to throw a real curveball into this conversation. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to talk about this Brett Favre, Derek Chauvin situation in a very, very <laughs> Brett Favre, Derek Chauvin situation. There is no, I'm about to connect Brett Favre to, Darren Show, to Derek Chauvin in a very, very provocative way. And, and so I, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna throw that little taste out there, give me a second to take care of a little bit more business, and then I'm gonna unpack what I think are similarities between Derek Chauvin and Brett Favre and how we're analyzing this situation and how potentially Brett is being victimized. But first I want to tell you about uh, our good friends over at Preborn. Uh, This is not a commercial. This is not a typical endorsement. This is life or death. Uh, Here at The Blaze, we are building a village of Blaze babies. We have a goal of saving, rescuing 50,000 babies from abortion. Preborn.com is helping us do that. They have already rescued nearly 190,000 babies. They do it with ultrasounds. When a baby, when a woman sees her baby, hears a baby's heartbeat through an ultrasound. Again, we've heard this week from that evil idiot, Stacey Abrams, that a baby's heartbeat at six weeks is some little make-believe thing, no it's not. Any woman that hears an ultrasound, sees an ultrasound, hears that baby's heartbeat, that is a game changer. And that's what pre-born provides. It costs you just $28, $28 to finance a uh, ultrasound. 140 bucks, you can finance five of them, four, five of them. We need to do this because once that mother hears that ultrasound, sees that baby in her womb, sees that life inside of her, understands, hears that heartbeat, it is a game changer. 80% of the time, she chooses life. Guys, we're always talking about what we can do. We always think it's this big, big thing, and if I just vote this way, and if I, if, if I donate all this money to this cause, or if I change my pronouns, or if I criticize someone that changed their pronouns, that's gonna fix the world. No, there are little small things we need to do, like fighting this abortion battle, like fighting these evil abortion people, like saving babies' lives. Introducing that mother to her child in the womb, through an ultrasound, changes the game. I need you guys to jump on board with this. Go to preborn.com uh, slash fearless, or all you gotta do is uh, uh, hit pound 250 on your phone, key, and say the keyword baby. That's how you donate, that's how we fight back, that's how we save babies' lives. Preborn is doing amazing work saving babies' lives I need you guys to jump on board with this. Just $28, one ultra. So 140 saves five lives. Let's do it. Let's jump on board. Let's be good soldiers. Done. told you about good ranchers earlier. And you got to eat and you got to support life. This is how we support life through preborn.com fearless. These advertisers, these supporters, they believe in us and what we believe in. We have to take little steps to show we believe in them. Preborn.com slash fearless or pound 250 keyword two f- uh, pound, uh, keyword baby. Let's make a difference in this world. All right, Steve, I'm coming back to you and I'm gonna unpack that big idea that I just teased about Derek Chauvin and, and Brett Farr. When I, I say that and I connect these two because I actually have a concern that All of this animus that's being directed at Brett Favre over social media is going to lead to Brett Favre perhaps being treated unfairly by the criminal justice system. I believe Derek Chauvin, and I'm going to irritate people, I believe he was mistreated by the criminal justice system. I believe Derek Chauvin should have been convicted of manslaughter. I believe he acted in a negligent fashion that contributed, along with the fentanyl in George Floyd's system, that contributed to George Floyd's death. But because Derek Chauvin was caught up in a social media doo-doo storm, and there was this unfair narrative, and there's this political opportunity to make some point and offer up a scalp, The guy's basically in prison for the rest of his life. I think they convicted him of second degree murder. I believe he was overcharged for his actions. I think Brett Favre is perhaps in similar crosshairs, that Brett Favre has done something wrong. I can't figure out, I read up on the story, I can't figure out what level of charges he should potentially face, but now there's this great political opportunity uh to charge brett Favre and show everybody look i'm not racist i went i'm not for white privilege we went after we threw the book at brett Favre, and i think potentially he's going to get overcharged i don't know if this crime deserves a slap on the wrist or if it deserves you know this guy facing some real uh prison time i do think the political wins are going are putting in brett Favre. In a tough situation, I believe what he did was wrong. I believe his entitlement led him to do it. But mm. I'm a bit concerned we're going to go overboard trying to get Brett Favre because all the political wins, the social media lynch mob wants Brett Favre taken down. Your thoughts?
3: You know, waking up on this fine Friday afternoon, Brett Favre, I'm sure, has heard all the social media chatter. I don't think he ever anticipated being compared to Derek Chauvin as he woke up today. So let me me unpack what you unpacked. I understand what you're saying. In other words, both have become lightning rods, highly controversial figures in what is now um, a racialized issue. I don't disagree. My view is this. Every legal case has its own merits and nothing else should impact it except the actual facts. Now. Do I believe there might be a politician may use this, no pun intended, as a political football to further their careers? Yes, it's been done before. It'll be done again. But I want to say this about Brett Favre. Um, I don't think anyone should have any sympathy for him. He's lived a good life. He has millions of dollars. When it came to setting up a volleyball facility or court for his daughter's, daughter's alma mater, which is also his own Southern Miss, here's what he should have done. Take out your damn checkbook and put your name on it and give some money. Honestly, I just, I keep thinking about this saying, uh, Brett, what the hell were you thinking? He knew he was doing something wrong. Not that ignorance is ever a defense, but if you actually read some of the emails, he's saying, we're gonna get away with this, right? And I'm gonna look good. I, I find that to be scumbag behavior. Let's be honest. If we're gonna have a problem with BLM and what they did to add to their portfolio real estate, we should have a problem with Brett Favre, but that's my point. Neither of these situations is great. We should not color this with racial um, with racial lines and then decide, well, what's our level of outrage? Uh, I mean, that, that's just really the issue that I have with the way both of these uh, subjects are being covered. You know, I look at this thing with Brett Favre. I think he's tarnished forever. In the court of public opinion, I'm not so sure— he can ever really recover can we be realistic though about this that water crisis they have in mississippi there are certain people they're making making it sound like well if brett farb would have just redirected that to the pipes and the plumbing everyone would be having sparklets and arrowhead water coming out of their faucets wait a minute this thing is so much deeper than one guy and again brett farb should come up to whatever legal recourse he has to stand down he's going to have to face it. But there's a whole systemic breakdown from a state level in terms of why something like this happens. So let's go through every single politician. Let's go through the political and government hierarchy and see where did this fail? Because if you're just going to focus in on Brett Favre and a volleyball facility at the University of Southern Mississippi, guess what? You're still not going to change a damn thing. I'm
1: not going to shed any tears over what happens to Brett Favre. I'm really not because the entitlement of these of this action is just too over the top for me. I, I agree. You know, I write checks to Ball State. I don't have near Brett Favre's money. I'm sure he's given some money to Southern Miss, but no way he should be involved with you know, some shady government officials trying to redirect money and get the credit and all that other stuff. It's a bad look for Brett Favre. He, he, he deserves some punishment. But, but this hyper-focus on Brett Favre from people that aren't hyper-focused on the governor of Mississippi at that time, yes. I believe his last name is Bryant, that, and again, he, he says he didn't know, he's claiming ignorance, and that, that may get blown up in his face. But that if we really want change, let's let's get that governor. Although to some degree, I'm not even sure that because virtually every Illinois governor ends up in prison and nothing ever changes with the corrupt (laughs) system in the state of Illinois. I this belief that we're going to punish our problems away and that the solutions are with punishment is is misguided. And Steve, I know this isn't your area of strength or concern, but this is why on this show we harp so much on, like, look, man, we got to return to some religious faith and religious morality. That's the only solution. This country operates best when a Judeo-Christian culture or a faith-based culture has some sway over the entire culture and society. This, this depending on man and man's moral compass leads to the kind of failure we Look, Brett Farr. guy's got $200, 300000000 million in the bank, been a celebrity, he's weak, he's a man. Uh, opportunity to take advantage of the system, da- da- dabbled in his face, and he jumped on it. Weak dude. He's going to get, you know, probably punished for it. I hope that he's not over-punished for it, that's all I'm saying. I, I hope that he's not treated in a different way because there's a political opportunity and everything's been drummed up over social media. But, you know, that's the world we're living in. Well, Jason, I, I want to pivot. Oh, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. Well, if he gets off easy, he could. we could just say, hey, criminal justice reform, if it's good for you, it's good for him.
1: <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we're letting it. I, I want to pivot and show you a couple of things from today to get your reaction to uh, Brad S- Stevens, the uh, Celtics president, former coach, who was involved in the Emmy Udoka decision and the suspension, uh, he talked today about this whole misinformation over Twitter and and. Uh, how, how he basically defended the said hey we're not responsible or we can't control what happens over Twitter and and but there's this whole thing going on on social media and with other um, other members of the media and Stephen A Smith Malika Andrews we saw it today every oh my god the Celtics leaked this and, and all these women for the Celtics have been victimized, and Brad Stevens spoke to that today. Let's play the clip.
0: I thought, you know, we have a lot of talented um, women in our organization, and I thought yesterday was really hard on them, and I think that, um, you know, nobody can control Twitter speculation and rampant bullshit, but, Um, I do think that we as an organization um, have a responsibility to make sure we're there to support them now Um, because a lot of people were dragged unfairly into that
1: all right so Mm. he's talking about the female Celtics employees there was speculation about hey who was Emmy Udoka sleeping with people are trying to blame the Celtics for leaking the story I don't buy that the Celtics leaked the story. I think Udoka and his camp did, but I I don't care. No one can control Twitter and, and I'm sorry that this happened to these women with the Celtics, but it's one day of speculation over social media. The main woman that people are writing and talking about, Allison Feaster, I don't know if you remember, she played basketball at Harvard, she played in the WNBA. I actually Covered her as a 15-year-old. She was a 15-year-old high school superstar in Chester, South Carolina. I-, I got the most unique, impressive high school athlete I ever covered. Chester, South Carolina is as destitute a place as as that I witnessed down in the South this young girl started playing varsity basketball i think in seventh grade brilliant brilliant i mean mind-blowingly brilliant goes on to play at at harvard as brilliant as she is she's just as beautiful i followed her whole college career actually followed some of her wnba career because i had that early engagement with her as a 15 year old kid she's On this team in some kind of you know she's 46 years old now she's part of the Celtics organization and oh my god people are accusing Allison Feaster of being the person and this is so unfair and 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 I get it it's uncomfortable I wouldn't you know I I feel bad for him but hey look if you can't take a little Twitter heat and Twitter misinformation maybe you're just not tough enough for these jobs And so, and I'm not saying Allison Feaster's been the one whining. People have been whining on her behalf. But but I'm just not throwing some huge pity party, and I'm certainly not blaming the Celtics for what someone says over Twitter.
3: No, I agree with that, but I brought it up yesterday. I thought that was highly unfortunate that as soon as this story broke, seemingly everyone went and typed in the Boston Celtics staff from (laughs) highest NBA coach, to the lowest level intern and start and I'm like, oh god. And, and I think that's the point that Stephen a. May, a. Smith made today. I don't think he was necessarily victim shaming, but I think he was saying, well, wait a minute. This is really unfair. That if it's a consensual relationship, right? Why aren't both people being named? And again, I don't know the bylaws of that corporate um, rule book about you know does does the underling get a little bit more protection than the one that's higher up on the power structure, but. You know, look, it's hard not to have feelings for people like that. Because, look, Miss Feaster probably did not wake up thinking, boy, my name's going to be plastered all over the Internet. Nobody knew who I was 12 hours ago. And now the question is, hey, were you coming off the bench for Udoka? I I mean, look, let's be human about this. No one would like this. And if it's someone that you knew, I feel terrible. There's a lot of things over social
1: media that happened related to me that I don't like. Right. But they're not ruining my life. Yeah. This this is I'm, this is a brilliant, successful. <laughs> but Jason. Jason she she married <laughs> her high school sweetheart, Danny Strong. I covered his, I uh, covered part of his high school career. Remember them both. Anyway, go go. I, I'm just, yep. uh, I, I just, I'm but not Jason, gonna shed a bunch honest. of tears.
3: I'm not yeah. either. But let's be honest, you instigate a lot of it, and you seem to enjoy it. That's a little bit of a difference. Also, maybe Miss Feaster just should have put up one tweet. A simple phrase. Wasn't me then just log off for the day End the story, <laughs> kill it.
1: It really does. Let, let me give people some context to your Stephen A. Smith comments. Let's Stephen A. After the press conference today uh, had some things to say and eventually got smacked around a little bit by Malika Andrews. It was kind of fascinating, but let's play Stephen A. Smith first.
0: According to your reports, Woj and what we have been talking about over the last couple of days, this was a consensual relationship. Was Ime Yudoki involved with himself? The answer to that question is no. Two consenting adults engaged in this act or these actions that clearly were in violation of the Boston Celtics policy. But all we're hearing about is Ime and, 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 and to Whit Grouseberg, who I profoundly respect, I would strongly advise you Grouseback, Grouseback I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I apologize. I don't know why I said crossback. to Wick, I would strongly advise him. maybe he should speak to a publicist or, or take some classes himself because he threw out a couple of bombs there about Eme Udoka. implications that feed stereotypes and things of that nature. And I, I'm not going to regurgitate what he said, but it was very, very alarming. highly one-sided. And as far as I'm concerned, based on this press conference, there is no reason on earth right now why Eme Udoka is still a head coach of the Boston Celtics, albeit a suspended one.
1: Steve, I want to translate what Stephen A. Smith was really saying there before I show you the clip of Malika, Anderson, uh, Malika Andrews' chin checking. Stephen A. Smith is saying, let me tell y'all something. I got a lot of friends that are NBA head coaches. A lot of my black (coughs) brothers and sisters are NBA head coaches. And they are very concerned right now. Can they still knock boots on the job? Or has there been a new precedent set throughout the NBA that we can't get a little on-the-clock nookie? That is what Stephen A. Smith is concerned about because this suspension... People are trying to figure out, hey, what's really going on here? We can't bang chicks on the job anymore? Is that what, is that what they're doing? That's his concern, because I don't think we've gotten the complete story on what happened with M.A. Udoka, Yudoka. because if it's just a consensual relationship on the job, that's why all these coaches are concerned, because many of them, Black and white, just like Stephen A. Smith said earlier, get a little on the clock nookie. And they're worried. That that, uh, is the NBA saying that? Is, has, has the Boston Celtics uh, franchise set a precedent that we can't do this anymore? And so, if he were honest about that's what his concern is, he goes, oh, oh, we get in trouble, we get fired, the women can sleep with us and get the benefit of sleeping with us, and nothing happens to them? That's what NBA coaches are talking about. They're scared to death, and Stephen A. Smith is trying to chastise and criticize the Boston Celtics and put all the other NBA franchises on alert. Like, hey, look, if the coaches can't sleep around, these women can't sleep with us anymore. They got to get in trouble too. That's what he's really concerned about.
3: Uh, maybe, but, y- you know, look, with Adoka, I-, I still think he's more respectable than Doc Rivers. Anyway, um, here's the thing. <laughs> Nobody is saying that these guys can't be unfaithful. They're just saying there is a compliance within the corporations, which is all 30 or 32 NBA teams. They can do it. They can go on the road just like the players and they have a rotation. And young ladies can come off the bench if they're not part of the starting five. But again, and I give Stephen a credit, he actually seemed to get this concept in a corporate structure, a someone of power or that stature under no circumstance can sleep with anyone else that's an employee of that organization. Jason, I I don't know. Again, I don't know the inner workings of the National Basketball Association. Uh, I don't know how many coaches actually are sleeping uh, outside of their marriage, if they are married, I don't know how many of them are doing it with interns or staffers that work inside the building. I don't know how many of them really do it on the road trips. But again, um, enough, I don't know. plenty.
1: Um, are you, okay. Players are concerned too. Players yeah. are concerned right. too. That you got this whole 2022 Me Too woke movement that the NBA has swallowed, and things are changing. And the players and the coaches are scared to death. So are the executives. I'm just, it, 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 if people understood sports culture and athletes' culture, all of these guys, they're built like Greek gods. They're the most sexual human creatures we have on the planet, men and women. And that's why they're concerned. If, if, if people understood female athletes, we, I, used to talk, I used to be very close with a basketball coach that would, would be like, man, you think my players are freaks? You should see how the women's team get down. It's incredible. They're, they're looser than the men. And that's a fact. People don't talk about it. The sexual amount, the WNBA is who should really be scared because if anybody ever went and investigated or just reported, on the sexual Olympics that go on inside those locker rooms. You'd have stories for days, but we ignore it because again, the, you know, we all feel sorry for the WNBA and women can do no wrong and they're the greatest human beings on the planet. But I'm trust me, everybody in this basketball world is shaken up by what's happened to M.A. Yadoka because of like, whoa, have they set a standard here? I I thought, you know, as long as we wore a condom, everything was all good inside these locker rooms and inside these corporate basketball settings. And and they're concerned, and Stephen A is trying to flesh it out for him, and that's why he's snapping on the Boston Celtics, but I'm talking about from coaches to players to executives, they're all sitting around, scared, like, whoo! what are the rules? Because they thought the rules were, Anything goes as long as it's consensual and now, now it seems to be, well, no, that's not the case. And you men are going to be held responsible.
3: Well, look, the last thing I look, I'm kind of bored of this thing. I'll be honest with you, Jason. I, I, cause again, I don't know that world. My view is this. The Boston Celtics are gonna have the boringest Christmas party this year. Oh my God. they're <laughs> probably gonna serve Pepsi. Could you imagine how boring that's going to be? <laughs> It'll be like the first grade school dance guys over here girls over here a dj is just gonna be playing going okay play a little uh, hip-hop hooray you know you're not gonna play opp don't play that song there <laughs> people are gonna be like oh my god don't play naughty by nature no no go back to rapper's delight <laughs> everyone do a soul train line but keep it separate i mean seriously i now that i think about it i actually want to go to the celtics christmas party i want to see what that's like <laughs> I mean, you know, I you don't, don't think they're going to play WAP.
2: You don't think they're going to play, play
3: no, WAP? No, no, no. There, here's another thing. You know that the thing, you, the, the reef, the, the mistletoe, there'll be no mistletoe yeah. at the Celtics thing. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You might get a reef, no mistletoe. But I look, at the end of the day, these guys knew the rules, and they all enter into something. My, 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 my thought is like this. Guys, keep it old school. Everyone keep it old school. Just have a mistress or groupies that sh- I mean I'm not asking for two again guys don't stick to the secretary don't stick to the assistant GM don't stick to the hot new intern again mistresses and groupies and also get some NDAs printed up have them sign it like you're, you're good fellas guys it can be worked out adapt and adjust you guys are professionals <laughs> and that's all
1: let me, I'm going to play this last thing, and then I'm going to let you go. We're not, I, I, we were going to do an approval raid on Brett Favre, but uh, you've thrown me off my game with the OPP reference. Uh, <laughs> here's Malika Andrews uh, with a very interesting uh, pushback on Stephen A. Smith.
3: The fact that we are sitting here debating whether somebody else should have been <clears throat> suspended or not, we are not here, Stephen A., to further blame women. That is not why we are here.
4: First of all,
0: let me be very clear. I don't appreciate where you're going with that. I'm not <laughs> blaming anybody but Ime Udoker. He deserves, the fact of the matter is, I've said he deserved to be fired if they were going to fire him. If you're not going to fire him, then don't fire him. My issue is all of this being publicized. The point that I'm trying to make is just you like you're not mentioning. Excuse Yudoka me, excuse me, at- excuse me. I listened to you. You're the one telling me to stop on my show. It ain't happening. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I've already said he deserves to be fired or he deserves what to, to be there and handle it internally and privately. If you're not going to handle it privately, If you're going to publicize it in that fashion, then obviously it provokes everybody wanting to know, okay, well, who are the parties involved?
1: (gasps) That was an excerpt from the Woman King. That was one of the the Dahomey Woman King (laughs) Amazon Warriors (laughs) taking on Stephen A. And I got to give Stephen A credit. He stood in the pocket. You going to tell me to shut up on my show? Ah, Good luck with that. (laughs) Jason.
3: Can we be fair about this? Because this is what we are. We are fair and balanced. We've been a little bit tough on Mr. Smith. But after that, (laughs) DAP. Give me DAP. (laughs) Give me DAP. And Steven, this is for you. Because let me just tell you something. That's the best segment of first take that I've seen in three years that didn't involve Michael Irvin. That was World Woke 3. That was was the cold (laughs) versus the flu. That was gonorrhea battling syphilis to be the infection inside your body. Uh, here's what I think, <laughs> Molly Q, step out, step out. We need that show. We need Stephen A. and Malika. I mean, I don't know if you call it Black on Black, Community Talk, or I don't know what you call it. But if you can do that, you know what? And let's not go two hours, because you know, let's go an hour a day, Monday through Friday, and take her off the jump or whatever that NB. You got to you got, you got a winner there. Jason, tell me, as much as you don't like the four-letter network as much as I do, I only watch live sports. Like, later on tonight, I'll be watching some boxing on ESPN, Shakur Stevenson fights, and all the college football. Outside of that, the only thing I watch in terms of their programming is the Monday version of First Take with the Playmaker and Stephen A. and everyone else. Outside of that, I don't even watch SportsCenter anymore. But I want to get serious for one second. Whether you agree or disagree, well, Stephen A. Smith is not the question. I really thought that the way Malika tried to, as they, as the kids say, clap back, I thought it was rude and disrespectful. And I'm glad Stephen A. said, oh, no, 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 no. No, young lady. My show. And for that, and like you said, he hung in the pocket like prime Phil Sims. Again, DAP, Stephen A. That This is for you. I got to give it up to you, man. You stood up. I mean, wow, what a segment. What a segment. Uh, I...
1: I have to agree with you. I've been critical of Stephen A. this week and in the past, but I was proud of him uh, for chin checking. I know we got it reversed here because I'm I'm just trolling yeah. with the lower third. I'm trolling Stephen A. Uh, but he actually uh, he put the Amazon Queen, he put the Woman King down. Uh, what, I'm trying to think. Oh, General Naniska. Yeah, she tried to come in and be General Naniska and. <laughs> Stephen A took that sword from her and put her down. Good yeah. stuff. Thank you, Steve. Uh, maybe one of Steve's best performances. Uh, I, the, the OPP thing, a little too much, uh, or too, almost too good for this. All right, uh, you can email me at fearlessattheblaze.com. Uh, Royce White has been waiting patiently. I hope he's still with us. Royce White, next. All right, welcome back. Let's roll out to Minneapolis, bring in Royce White, and get an athlete's perspective on Emmy Udoka, Brett Favre, everything we've been talking about. Royce, I want to start here. I just was talking with Steve Kim, and one of my big arguments as it relates to Emmy Udoka is I'm not buying that a successful NBA coach can be fired. over consensual sex in the workplace. I don't buy the story that's been leaked out. I don't think it's been leaked out by the Celtics, but I just don't trust the reporting. There has to be more to this story for a successful NBA coach to be fired over consensual sex, or or even if it was the, the Sham Sharni is kind of reporting that it started consensual sex. Then there were some unwanted comments. I just don't think consensual sex turned to bad flirtation leads to a coach being fired. There's far more to this story, in my opinion. Your thoughts.
4: Yeah, the story seems strange to me uh, all all around. I, I don't uh I don't I don't know the details like like many of us don't still, but I could see I could see how a consensual, you know, the the NBA and their impetus to try and appease any type of PR backlash from the liberal establishment would definitely have them in my in my viewer estimation, preemptively try and discipline this coach uh, for a potential lawsuit or or, um, you know, pr scandal around consensual sex and and i saw a lot of comments online as i you know tapped in and try to look into to what was being said And, and there was a sentiment that because he had a position of power over this woman most likely in some way uh that that makes him wrong or that makes him a predator and uh you know this is just the last days of the me too movement uh trying to trying to uh You know have their have their way so uh, I I don't I don't know I don't know if it was consensual or not obviously but um I could see where the NBA would try and discipline him even if he if it was consensual at this point
1: so this is an individual team not the NBA but I'm sure the NBA is involved in some way but let's say it's some sort a successful coach Mm -hmm. black Mm-hmm. You, you've just had run to the NBA finals with him to me you suspend him for a month and write a massive check to whatever woman has a problem in in the building and you just want you just let it go you yeah. don't suspend the guy for a year unless there's far more to this story and potentially what what i think i mean just potentially I, I don't maybe there's 20% of me that thinks maybe he ain't as good a coach as we think <laughs> and they know he's not that good of a coach and that yeah. perhaps he were he was carried by the assistant coaches and this is their way to get out from underneath that
4: that's possible too. I mean, there's all kinds of shady backdoor stuff that goes on between front offices and coaches. We've seen it uh, across time. We we saw it in the L.A. situation between uh, what was the guy's name, uh, Palenko and and Magic and and LeBron and that whole yeah. and even during Kobe's era. Um, so that that stuff happens all the time. I experienced it in Philadelphia and with Daryl Morey and in Houston, and so so those things happen often where a GM may not like a a, a coach. Or an owner may not like a coach, even if he had been successful. I mean, look at what happened with the Bulls in the '90s and Ryan, Reinsendorf, or whatever his, you know, the owner there in, the, in Chicago. Jerry wanted Reinsdorf. Fill out. Jerry yeah. Krause. Yeah. He wanted Phil out, even though Phil had won six rings, uh, and 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 knew that getting rid of Phil could possibly have the implications of 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 Mike and and Pippen, uh, you know, and breaking up that dynasty. So I think we have a misconception as fans and as onlookers that the number one priority of these organizations is to win at any cost. And that's not true because personal motives come into play. But I will say as far as this coach goes in this specific situation, there's a pecking order when it comes to political backlash or fallout from scandal. And the pecking order is LGBTQ1, uh, white women or, or the feminist movement second, and black men last or being black last as an identity. Uh, so I could I could completely see uh, a black, a young black coach who's quote unquote successful being slapped on the hand, being put in his place uh, for what is a, a higher a higher uh, person on the on the identity Marxist, uh, you know, pecking order. And and the, the Me Too thing has died down. But when it comes to athletes in the workplace and in a, a male dominated industry like like the uh, like professional basketball in the NBA, I could see the chameleonic. Boston Celtics vis-a-vis the NBA, trying to put out this fire before it gets gets out of hand. Because here, here's the here's the here's the um, here's the thing you got to think about. Let's say it did just start off as some comments are consensual. They don't know that. They probably don't know the extent of the relationship. So how long before the woman says that she was that it wasn't consensual? They know that. I mean, these people are PR geniuses. That's the one thing I'll give the NBA and a lot of these other professional sports. Leagues is that they they do very well with preemptive and, and after the fact PR damage control.
1: So, the other thing that they have done here, and this is just like a thought that just crossed my mind in the moment, is you know, all the sympathy directed towards the Allison Feaster. And trust me, I met her when she was a little kid. This woman's brilliant. I mean, she was brilliant at 50. She was smarter than all the adults. She was smarter than all the teachers at the school she attended. I'm, I'm not exaggerating that. Uh, and now she's 46. She's Harvard educated. She's been through all the woke training. Th- this may be about elevating, you know, the way they've thrown this pity party for her. Because, I, I, again, she's not the woman he was sleeping with, but there was momentary there was a brief moment yesterday when people over Twitter were speculating and everyone's throwing this pity party and how great she is. Maybe they use this to elevate her into a position uh uh somewhere across the NBA or within the Celtics organization. Uh I, 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 I could I could see that. But I, I, I'm I'm just gonna go back, I'm kind of repeating myself, but yeah. I just don't buy that what it, what's been reported is the reason this guy is getting treated this way, yeah, there there's far more to the story. And then when I look at, I don't know if you've seen we played some clips from Stephen A. Smith and his he's wondering why whoever the woman was hasn't been punished. He's saying it's a consensual set. Why isn't it a two- way street? Why isn't the woman also facing some ramifications? And, and, and I, my answer to that is like, well, Stephen A., we don't know what happened. Mm. Maybe the Celtics don't believe the woman did anything wrong. But I think Stephen A.'s motive, and this is what I was just arguing with Steve Kim about, is that I think this decision to remove this coach over some kind of sexual impropriety consensual, allegedly, sexual impropriety, has everybody in the league scared to death. Every coach, whether black or white, every player, whether black or white, is scared to death, and the ones that are used to getting some on-the-clock extracurricular activity are most scared because they're worried that a precedent has been set here that could cost them their job,
4: and I think you know, I, I agree with you. I, I have, I, you know, because I've been in behind those those curtains and in those rooms, um, I, I can see where the NBA or or even an individual team gets real shady or shoddy with their application of discipline around issues like this. But I do have a hard time believing that this was completely consensual, and and them suspending for the whole year. If they did, it speaks a lot about just how unfairly, uh, uh, you know, this institution can be towards individuals. And and I don't think it has anything to do with him being a young black coach. Um, it may have something to do with that, but, but there's probably inner, inner turmoil, uh, and inner, inner organizational politics that, that are coming down to bear here. Um, and, and I just don't agree with the premise, right? I don't agree with the premise that, 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 uh, he couldn't be having a consensual sexual relationship with somebody in the organization. And I've known personally many times or instances where, you know, general managers in, in the NBA's history have had sexual relationship with relationships with cheerleaders or people who worked in the PR department or all kinds of things like that. So players, I mean, it, it's, it's common. So, you know, it's a dangerous precedent to set and I think it's an illegitimate precedent to set. So, you know, not only am I against, uh, uh, you know, setting that precedent. Uh, In this case, I'm against it on a general basis. People, adults should be able to do what they want to do. The reason why people set these kind of precedents, in my opinion, is very disingenuous. It's not to create um, a distinct line between men and women in the workplace on a sexual basis. It's to uh, to protect the institution from litigation and lawsuits and this country is just overly litigious and and that's you know that that you, you can't address one without the other stop letting women work in the workplace with men if you do they're going to have sexual relationships at some point in most cases so let's be real
1: so i'm wondering and again i, I there is potentially a precedent being set but what's also, making me think there's more to the story is the way Emi Yudoka has fallen on his sword. He mm. he put out a statement that basically said he's not fighting it. The owner today, during the press conference, alluded to the fact, like, look at Emmy Yudoka's statement. These aren't his exact words, but that was his inference. And all of my engagement with Emmy Yudoka is like, he's appreciative of the way that we've handled this. And so they're painting a the picture like Emmy Yudoka is on board with this suspension. That's why he's... Because most people, most guys would use their agents, just get me up out of this contract with yeah. my guaranteed money and I'll resurface in a year or two, my resume's clean. He seems to be falling on his sword. That's what makes me think there's more to this story and there's dirt, but... Why, why do you think, potentially, he seems to be taking this, for lack of a better description, like a man?
4: Well, it's, it's you know, I, I could see it both ways. Again, I could see where there's something deeper going on here, something more, uh, uh, let's say, uh, something more uh, troublesome. Embarrassing embarrassing going on here that everybody has an interest in covering up. And they came together collectively behind the scenes and said, let's deal with it like this. I've heard of that happening. I've been involved in situations where, well, you know, knowledge of firsthand situations with teammates and whatnot, close friends where that's happened. Um, But I also think that, that this guy and many of these young athletes and black coaches, especially him being so young, many of these guys are, very prone to take their slaps on the hand disciplinar- disciplinarily um, in hopes that they could redeem themselves later on by doing so. And, and many of them have been coached and conditioned to not fight back organizational politics, even when they may be right, even when they feel they have a position. Some of their agents, some people's agents tell them, hey, don't fight this. Don't fight this. I have a relationship with this person or that person, and it'll be OK. Just fall on your sword now and later on we'll we'll figure it out. Um, so, you know, I could see him being a look. He had great success. He went to the NBA finals. You know, he's he's got a lot of prospect as a young, talented coach, at least in the perception of the market. I could see him completely bending over and selling out and saying, hey, I'll take whatever punishment you guys give me. Uh in, in, in hopes that I could redeem myself later on because ultimately his goal is to remain a coach in this league, most likely, and from my from my view.
1: <clears throat> so we haven't heard at the time of our discussion right now, I don't know what's gonna happen later, but we haven't heard a lot from uh, Boston Celtics players, which which again raises my eyebrows and makes me think there's more going on here, and it really, I'm just telling the, the NBA is so into this racial narrative and hired mm. so many black coaches uh, at one time to try to get on the right side of this racial narrative. It, mm. it just, with them so close to a championship, they're, they're firing basically their coach when their window is right now. You can't. It's hard to convince me that that morally convicted that they're willing to perhaps throw away a championship and install a young coach.
4: I find that hard to believe. Let me let me let me let me frame it this way. Maybe this maybe this will help. Is the racial is the racial agenda high on the NBA's docket? Of course, especially when it comes to public relations but let's be clear black men are always on the lowest rung of the totem pole when it comes to that agenda and if it was a if it was a black woman head coach i guarantee you they'd be much slower to discipline and if this consensual sexual relationship had been between him and another man i guarantee you they'd be much slower to discipline and so you know that kind of tells you that yeah, we want black people to be rising in our industry, but as a heterosexual black man who displays heterosexual preference in the workplace, you are still in the crosshairs of being disciplined and even unfairly treated by the institution. And and that's a heat of warning to black men everywhere who want to cuck around and beta a male for this, this liberal agenda and and this liberal establishment, uh, narrative, because we are the lowest rung and we're more useful dead, right? We've said that time and time again, but it's important to reiterate here. You're, You're more useful dead. You're more useful gay. You're more useful with the dress on. Um, and, and, you know, this coach doesn't exhibit any of that. He doesn't really capitulate to you know, we don't hear him talk that much. And I don't know his opinions on a lot of things. He kind of toes the line, but he's not he's not sold out in an overt way. Uh, and, and obviously he feels completely comfortable going after his heterosexual pursuits in the workplace. Uh, and, I, and I think that there's an inherent, you know, uh, you know, animus towards that. There's an hostility towards that, even though he's black.
1: You bring me to another point. Uh, great job, the, the the dynamics, the leverage dynamics that, that led to the NBA hiring eight, nine black coaches all at once, Udoka was a part of that movement, and, and I think people have misread the tea leaves and like, I'm untouchable. You know, the, uh, you know, Twitter and everything, the whole movement is behind me and blah, blah, and there was going to always be a pendulum swing of, okay, how can we get leverage back over these guys? Because if you fire someone over yeah. a mediocre record, the media is gonna say, well, hold on. You didn't fire this white coach, and how come you didn't give him this much time, and you're firing him too quick, and blah, 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 blah. But if you play the personal conduct code card on people, That removes your record of accomplishment. You have no, and so that's why I've been arguing and and why these idiots that think, hey, I'm gonna ride this racial leverage and white guilt to a job, well, hold on. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, and so now, since you wanna take merit off the table, we'll just start using our company guidelines and rule book policy that's how we'll discipline and deal with you then you, you've taken merit and whether or not you can coach off the table, okay, We'll just hold you to the letter of the law as it relates to personal conduct and we'll you know potentially put the, your dirt out on Front street. Uh, that's how we'll discipline you. That's how we'll control yeah. you.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the slipperiest slope there is, right? when you when you want to play the identity politics game, and reap the benefits of it when it when it suits you, or or let's just say not even when it suits you or 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 uh, you know gives you benefit, but when it protects you, and and we see the, the and I you know I speak about the Jewish and Black identity being very similar in this way. Uh, we we see a lot of uh, the people who have the Jewish identity uh, or people who use the Jewish identity to try and you know create a protected class, you could say uh, uh, there. Um, Those are the exact same people that are going to circle back around to chop your head off. Uh, I said this recently in my letter to the Walking Dead on Substack regarding Alex Jones, Kyrie Irving and that whole situation. Um, But but the same people who want to who the same people who make you feel a sense of security by calling you the protected class and using you to wield and deal their way to the to the position of power that they need at the time politically. They usually circle right back around to clip you when everybody else is gone, uh, and and that's what we see happening all over the the political spectrum. And look, I mean, look at a guy like Farrakhan, for example. The the, the way you can tell that that's going to continue to be the the mo, like think of how pro-black this entire generation has claimed to be, and how quick Silicon Valley was to clip out Minister Louis Farrakhan and ban him, right? I mean, I knew right then that this was the the ultimate double cross. It's like, okay, we want the black folks to have a voice, but not that voice. Okay, then it's Alex Jones, and then it's Steve Bannon, and and, and then it was Kevin Hart. And then it was, you know, I mean, it, it just slowly but surely moves itself around however they need to when somebody has a little bit too much leverage individually. And that's really what this war is about culturally is like, the, the institutions in the establishment don't like people who have individual leverage because individual leverage is very close to true individual freedom. Um, and, and so, you know, this coach is one guy who's at the top of the heap. He was you know a little too big for his britches, thought that he could grab ass around the office all he wanted to, and they checked him. You know, they checked him for it.
1: I have to ask you this, Royce, because we were having this discussion with Steve Kim. I was talking yeah. about Udoka and Brett Favre, I did a Mono Today column on how I think this idolatrous culture we have creates entitled athletes. That uh, we've gone so far with idolatry and worship of athletes, and there are so, so many people and platforms now in need of worship of athletes, or these big athletic idols, that it's created a level of entitlement, an unprecedented level of entitlement, I think, with athletes. Being a former athlete, I I wanted to give you a chance, or some athlete a chance, uh, to, to respond to that, that I think our current athletic culture creates an entitlement among athletes that leads to the kind of entitled behavior I see. I think we see in Udoka, and the kind of entitled behavior that I think we see in Brett Favre.
4: Uh, tough, for, tough. I mean, I'm an athlete, so my my bias is is pretty obvious. Um, and I think we've discussed this a little bit before. I know when I was there, we talked about Kaepernick and just the the onus on athletes or the prospect of athletes being leaders in this. Leaders socially, not only athletically, but socially in this current culture. um, It's I'm slow to call what athletes are entitled. Um, I I think a lot of them have a false sense of their own importance in the greater world. No doubt. Um, You know, I don't think it's an entitlement. I think it's a loss of faith and a loss of sacred honor that they adopt from the institutions that they want to rise up in. Uh, so I or, you know, you could you could go the other way. You could go from the bottom up or the grassroots community that have sold out to the institutions that they want to rise up in. Um, so I don't think it's very athlete specific. I think that we just live in a, a culture of people who have radical loss of faith and sacred honor. And it shows in their choices and in, in their individual lives um, and in their integrity uh, and, and the things that they choose to engage themselves in. You know, the the Brett Favre situation, this situation has no equivalency whatsoever. It's a it's it's a false equivalency. And you see a lot of people trying to, oh, well, you know, RG3's thing, you know, if you're more mad about this coach than Brett Favre, then you're part of the problem. I mean, that's just that's just classic fake woke race baiting. Um, Nobody's mad at Udoka, really, other than, you know, raging feminists and beta males who are all about the protectionary sexual racket, Uh, and people should be genuinely mad about Brett Favre and what he did, only in that situation, I kind of view Brett Favre as uh, the useful idiot, right? I mean, he's kind of the running dog in in that situation, in my opinion, because here's a guy who probably doesn't have a great understanding of politics maybe doesn't have a, a great deep understanding of business and and loans and grants and government money and the welfare, you know, he's a guy who, and he took a lot of dings on the head. Let's not pretend like we didn't all love Brett Favre for everything he left on the field. Probably suffering from CTE somewhat, you know. I don't want to make an excuse for him, but that's probably uh, the case. Um, you know, I watched him take tons of hits here playing against the Vikings myself. Um, so I, I think that, Brett Favre in that situation is probably the useful idiot, but people are right to be mad at him. Um, no, nobody's trying to compare the two. If you are, you're just trying to run a racket to keep us looking away from the bigger issues. And the bigger issues are that the institutions that these two men were bred and conditioned in, not only in their adult lives, but from children, uh, have lost their sacred honor. So why would we expect anything else?
1: So you, you somewhat are making my point, these institutions have lost their sacred honor, they don't instill proper values, the, the, the social media and all, all, just all the worship. And again, I, I call it, entire, I, man, I've, I've, cause again, I used to have the same mindset, uh, but, but I, I've, I've, I've had a, a prominent athlete once tell me, we were out to dinner and, and you know, I always insist on paying uh, for I don't accept freebies and he looked at me like you crazy man they owe us money for being here we're doing them a favor eating here and <laughs> and you know we're, this we're good for their business and again I didn't say anything at the time but I was like that's the entitled mentality that I want nothing to do with I don't accept favors I don't want favors I don't feel like I'm owed anything I don't feel like I'm doing anybody a favor by any place I am on the planet but 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 We're close to running out where I I, got to move on. But there's one more thing I said today that I would be uh, irresponsible if I didn't get your reaction to it. You've already kind of set me up for it. As it relates to Brett Favre, I think what he did here is bad. I agree with you. I think he's a bit of an idiot, but I think he's an entitled idiot. And that's what led him to go look for a $5 million freebie to build some facility for his daughter and his daughter's friends at Southern Miss. That's why he took a million bucks to do commercials that he didn't end up doing. But having said all that, I think this racial, this false racial world we've set up where social media and everybody is connecting. What about Brett Favre to Ime Yaduka and everything else? Has put him in the crosshairs of a social media lynch mob that may get him overcharged. I can't figure out how bad the crime is and what the appropriate punishment is, but social media is demanding his scalp. And I analogized it to, and this is why I have to ask you about it, I analogized it to Derek Chauvin, who I mm. felt like should have been charged with manslaughter, mm. should have I think he contributed to uh, George Floyd's death along with the fentanyl and George Floyd's behavior and that Derek Chauvin got overcharged because of the political lynch mob and so this guy's probably gonna spend the rest of his life in prison. And and I didn't even bring up the, the other three officers that are gonna be charged with stuff. I think that's an overreaction that Chauvin, again, probably should do five years. For his role some kind of manslaughter charge anyway i'm saying this whole racial dynamic we've set up has put brett Favre in a similar crosshairs and we're over we think punishment is some kind of solution to our problems yeah. rather than fairness being the solution to our problem
4: yeah i mean i think what it, both things can be true and And you know how I feel about chauvin, but but I'm from the Twin Cities. So again, my opinion is probably biased. Um, I, I think that I think that his sentence and the way it was carried out was definitely a response and a reaction to a couple of things. One, the woke media, but also the the grassroots energy on the ground and the fear uh, that that a lack of harsh punishment would result in. Uh, more chaos and riots in the street. I mean, being here on the ground level during that time, you definitely could hear the sentiment that many people were afraid if a sentence was not harsh enough that uh, chaos was gonna erupt in the streets again. And obviously I was gonna be out there to try and lead in a peaceful way if that was gonna happen, but but, but that didn't happen. So I think the establishment's role in that harsh punishment is is not in the pursuit of justice. It is in the pursuit of its own preservation. And I think uh, uh, Brett Favre may end up being a similar case. Um, Now, I'm very hesitant to be when it comes to financial crimes, because my understanding of the political landscape, I'm very hesitant to come down harshly on Brett Favre for this issue, because, I mean, we have thirty one trillion dollars of national debt. <laughs> you know, there, there's no, there's no crime bigger than that in Wall Street. And uh, let me give you an example. And this goes back to our last example too. To, to end, um, we have to look at the motive. We have to look at intent, and we have to realize that intent and motive can be dual purpose. Let's take the marijuana issue as an example. There are a lot of people who would say we don't want to legalize marijuana. Right. And I would actually agree with that. I'm a no substance belief guy, except an occasional Johnny Walker responsibly. Um, But but I'm I'm traditionally a no substance guy. Um, But for the government to regulate something like drug use or drug sales or to rule on marijuana legalization without correcting itself in other predatory substantive areas. Is what makes the thing disingenuous, disingenuous, and it creates faultiness among in the relationship between the government and people. So that's with Brett Favre, that's with Derek Chalvin, that's with these, with this coach, that's with the, all of us. We all have a social contract, and that contract is based on uh, adequate, competent, uh, you know, back and forth between us and the state. And and Woody Johnson, right? For example, Johnson and Johnson. The people who are bringing fentanyl in from China, uh, the, the, the people who blew our borders open and allowed for fentanyl to be in the streets for George Floyd to have. Not to say he wouldn't have been on another drug if the fentanyl wasn't, wasn't a problem. But the fentanyl is just the drug of the day. These drugs have always been a problem, and they've always been a part of the globalist business model. And I hate to take it way off to left field, but the, the globalist business model is three distinct businesses, the slave trade, the drug trade, and piracy and the drug trade has always been a part of it, and the state has always been in on it. So, and I don't say that to absolve people of their individual responsibility for choosing to take drugs. All I'm saying is that when I see the government come in and make a ruling, or have the opportunity to make a ruling, I watch for the intent and the motive of the government in a self-preservationist way versus it being true justice or restorative practice.
1: Thank you, Royce, as always. Awesome job. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com/fearless. Uh, we're gonna end the show, talking a little House of Dragons, with a follower, a listener, a viewer of the show. Could be you. But it's Lynn Cabrera. Next. All right. Welcome back. Uh, this next segment is why you guys need to email me uh, here at fearless at the because you could pop up on this show if your email is good enough. And our next guest who I'm just. A, I don't I don't know who who, who he is his name's Lynn Cabrera I believe he sent me a fascinating email he sent it to me and Steve Dace and a few other people with this awesome explanation of the television show House of Dragons and it was so good I was like Lynn I sent him back would you come on the show and talk about it uh, because it so fascinated me and so Lynn I, I want to start here and I apologize because you, you sent me and Steve Dace and a couple other people the email and I'm do you know these other people? Who are you? Uh, I just found your email fascinating. That was as far as my investigation went. Uh but who are you and and do you know people at the Blaze or, or how how did you end up in my email box?
2: Well my wife has been on Steve Dace and Daniel Horowitz's show a couple of times, mainly talking about COVID. Uh And I listened to him, and he does his Pop Culture Tuesday segments, and he refuses to watch both House of the Dragon and the um, Rings of Power. And I want him to talk about it because I think they're fascinating. So I I was on a bike ride, came up with this idea, and I just ranted to my wife after a ride for like 60 seconds, 70, I don't know, a minute, minute and a half. And she said, oh, you need to share that. Okay, So I sent it off to those guys and then you talk about it. I love listening to you and the ladies talk about it afterwards. So I I included you since you give out your email.
1: Awesome, I'm glad you did. And so I don't watch Ring of Power or whatever. I I doubt if I ever will. People tell me it's pretty woke. I'm gonna take their word for it. Uh, But I do watch House of Dragons because I watched all of Game of Thrones even though I was dissatisfied with the last two or three seasons of it. Uh, But your explanation and analogy about what's actually transpiring and what the message is or what the underlying themes are for House of the Dragon, I felt very fascinated by. I found them very compelling. And so if you could unpack that and take as much time as you need, Don't, don't worry about me. I want you to unpack the analogy you made and how you think House of the Dragons is really an analogy about what's going on in America and kind of around the globe right now.
2: Yeah, so I almost didn't watch the show either because, uh, like you, I followed Game of Thrones. I think it's tremendous series, and most of that is because they're basing it on a series of books. So the story was already done. All they had to do was bring it to screen, and they did a wonderful job. The problem is when they got to season six and seven, they got ahead of the books. They lost the story. Now they were more focused on spectacle and action sequences than they were following the story. So when they go to do the prequel, House of the Dragon, there's this basic outline of a story in the books, but it's not as fleshed out a story. So it's kind of worried that, eh, and this is why people are thinking it might just be woke, because there's a lot of leeway for them to make up the story as they go, as long as they hit the plot points that are in the history of the timeline that's laid out. And so some people are getting caught up on all that. I didn't want to watch it going in, just knowing the basic outline. It's the dance of the dragon, it's a civil war. And you know, at the start of Game of Thrones season one, the Targaryens have literally two people left, no dragons. The dragon pit has been destroyed. And you just know that this is going to be like watching a train wreck. But I thought that's eh, a different, different showrunners. It might be worth watching if it's the same attention to detail just for the production quality and the acting is amazing. So I gave it a try, and it started, and I just thought, oh, this is worse than I thought. Not that it's a bad show, but it's just too close to home. I mean, you have this decrepit king who's ruling over the kingdom, who's indecisive, who's being propped up by his advisors, and his whole thing is he doesn't want to ever make a decision. I mean, he seems good initially, right? He listens to the one guy, goes, hey, what do you think about this? And he's playing with his small council. Everybody's giving him different opinions. He looks like he considers it, but then ultimately does nothing. And the whole premise is he's trying to maintain the peace and prosperity that was under his um, predecessor who reigned for like 70 years or something and the realm flourished. And he doesn't want to be the guy that gets blamed for it falling apart. So he's just kind of like trying not to do anything to to rock the boat, but you know, it's just a bunch of rich people who are elites who are completely unaccountable to the people under them. So. You have all these other people vying for power because they're like, well, he's not always going to be at the throne. So they're all moving around in the background to secure power for themselves. And who cares what happens to the the realm or the people? So that's kind of what I saw from it. And And I started sat down and started making specific analogies of different characters and who they play in our current political system unpack that. That's what I found. Fa- <laughs> I thought it was great. So, yeah, I, I sent out a Twitter thread and a friend of mine made some uh, some graphics for it. And uh, obviously, the, the, especially with the last season where the king starts hurling and falling down, you know, you can't help that looking at somebody who doesn't know what he's doing he's very frail. And he propped that right up next to a picture of Joe Biden when he crashed his bike. Um, <laughs> it's clear that the king is incapable of doing the job. But you've got the small council, right? He's got the new hand of the king, the most powerful person in the kingdom other than somebody in the royal line. And you have all these other people in the council who are trying to position themselves for their houses to to do well and prosper, right? Because it's all about being in District 1, right? Or or Washington, D.C. That's where all the money is, right? All the richest counties are the counties around there, everybody who works for the government. So uh, I'm trying to remember the, the actual... Uh, one that I don't know if you have them that you can put them up or not.
1: Uh, I can go one by one. Um, I, I, I'm i I'm calling of, up the email. Go ahead. Uh, so
2: you have the, House, it, the
1: first- House of the Dragon is much more specific in today's politics. Basically, you have King uh, v- v- Viserys Targaryen, who's an augmentation of every establishment Republican politician you can think of. I, I, I love that because and again, I know that you just alluded to maybe he's Biden. But I kind of like the analogy to the uh, Republican rhinos who, you know, basically don't want responsibility uh, for any of their yeah. decisions. And uh, <laughs> his references to the prophecy of the House Targaryens is like the red wave that the Republicans are predicting.
2: Yeah, so he he passes the dagger on to his his heir, Rhaenyra, and he's telling her, well, here's what it means that a Targaryen has to be on the throne to stop this invasion from the north. But he, they they get so focused about having a Targaryen on the throne, they don't actually think about, well, what do we need to do for this invasion? What does it mean? What, what happens? And we know from Game of Thrones that there isn't a Targaryen on the throne when the White Walkers come across. And they get stopped anyway. The question is... Would there have been fewer deaths if you didn't have the Dance of the Dragon, right? If there wasn't a civil war among the Targaryens and they still had an army of 50 dragons instead of only the three. And it's one of those
1: just the other. The other thing that that I I, I was hoping you would get at and which which I found fascinating is like this whole civil war is is. Analogous to the civil war we're having in politics, that the Republicans and Democrats, because I tend to believe in the uniparty, uh, that they're really just in on this together. And that's what we're seeing here with the House of Dragons Republicans and Democrats fighting with each other over scraps and over power and who's going to be in control. And, you know, they don't care about the rest of us. I love that analogy.
2: Yeah, they're not even really fighting over scraps. They're just stealing from the future at this point. They're writing checks and going into further debt just to enrich themselves or to possibly even, you know, depending on what kind of tinfoil hat you want, right, launder their money through Ukraine or whatever else, all these different spending bills. And they just enrich each other. It's just who gets the bigger check. Right. And who's in the minority? I know. I know Daniel Horowitz is pretty big about how the Republicans basically serve as controlled opposition to prop up the Democrats. They couldn't do as much as they wanted if they didn't have the Republicans there as this kind of opposition force for people to rally behind, not realizing that they don't ever really actually oppose anything unless they're running for office. Right. And when they're running for campaign contributions <laughs> or to get your vote, then they'll talk strong. But then they'll turn around and and uh, ratify NATO treaties. To weaken the country uh in the sense of the game of thrones what you end up sorry the house of the dragon you end up having a split that's about to happen you could see it happening now you got uh, rhaenyra who is the the heir but then you have the king remarried and he's got alicent and they had a male child so the realm kind of sees that as well that's the heir so there's going to be a, a war between it. it's called the, the the greens and the blacks and you get two factions and they they both have dragons and they go at it and they just destroyed their best resource, right? The source of their power is the dragons. And ultimately they're all gonna die and they're not gonna have any dragons. And that's why in the original Game of Thrones, it's not a Targaryen on the throne, it's a Brathian, right? Cause he's the one that kills the last Targaryen cause that Targaryen didn't have any dragons. And similar here, you have these politicians that are just sitting there enriching themselves like, and all the while watching the country get weaker. And they're all sitting there again, like I said, with uh this is wanting to take credit for this prosperity every politician in office even the ones that have been there for 40 50 years they have nothing to do with the prosperity that we enjoy all of that came before post-war if you want to talk about the 80s tech boom whatever you want these guys had nothing to do with it they're just along for the ride if anything they're slowing it down because they're enriching themselves and not really focused on what is it that makes us strong as a nation I think I mentioned something in there about, sorry, I mentioned something in there about uh, Texas and the analogy with them and the Valerians who are getting attacked by pirates. And the king's like, oh, I don't want to do anything about that because that might start a war. I'm like, they have to defend their border. So Corliss says, I'll do it myself. He takes out all his ships and he basically starts a little war, takes out the triarchy and the crab feeder. The king tries to take credit for it at the end. He's like, oh, yeah, thanks for the realm. And instead, what we have is, is Governor Abbott and even my own governor, DeSantis, they ship a couple of illegals up north. I'm like, okay, that draws some media attention, but that does nothing to secure the border.
1: Mm. The other one I like, the Lannisters are like establishment political advisors and media wielding power on the, on the reputation of their wealth without actually having that wealth.
2: Yeah, that's kind of building on in the future Game of Thrones, you have Tywin Lannister who admits that their power comes from the perception that they have all these gold mines, but those mines ran dry a long time ago. We don't know where that is relative to House of the Dragon, but you can see them positioning as they go because you had Jason Lannister trying to get himself married off to Rhaenyra in, uh, I think, episode the the one where they go out to the hunt. I think that's the, uh, the third episode. And then what you don't see is that his brother, um, I'm trying to think of what his name is, uh, Tyland, Lannister, he actually positions himself and comes in and becomes master of ships when Corlys goes off to fight his little war. And if you know the story, I think this might be a spoiler for some people, he eventually goes on to become Hand of the King uh, for one of the Aegon the Third. So there's a little spoiler for those who haven't read the book, sorry.
1: That's all right. We don't because what I'm not sure how much I'm going to talk about House of the Dragon anymore. I'm going to continue to watch, but I can't stand the show. It's 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 an attack on the patriarchy. It's a little too woke for me. I'm tell, your email is what will probably keep me going, looking for these angles that you've pointed out and these analogies you've pointed out. So I, I, I just want to thank you and uh Keep the emails coming uh, as you see things in the show. Uh, keep the emails coming, and maybe we'll have you back. But I just wanted to you know, kind of say to our audience that, man, I appreciate the feedback. If your feedback is good enough, we may have you on on a Friday and let you end the show as Lynn just did. Lynn, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for the explanation of House of Dragons. You've done me and the audience a great service.
2: Thanks for having me on.
1: All right, uh, let's play tomorrow, and that means we'll see you next week.
2: Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a off, nothing in
4: line, like Freedom. Came in like a fighter, striking like a ladder, Making
3: all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone.
4: i breaking my back for freedom. Blessed, we are living, get back. We are receiving
2: all the seed when we all wanna be free.